Hey, everybody. It's a surprise podcast, Theology on Mission podcast, in the middle of the summer. Oh, my goodness. Mike Moore sprung one on us. He said, we're going to do a surprise. Uh, JR, you're not supposed to talk during this session. Oh, yeah, sorry. During this part. Oh, man. Uh, you messed it up. Anyways, folks, it's not a surprise session anymore because we have J.R. Woodward with us on Theology on Mission podcast. Mike Moore, why? Why did you do this to the Theology on Mission podcast? <laughs> we we said we were going to just relax and have the summer off. I wasn't going to have to go through any of the torture of the technology that we normally go through. I was going to have relief and peace the whole summer. What's wow. going on, Mike Moore? Well, it sounds like your next book, The Torture of Technology, um, <laughs> that, that, that we just experienced for the It's last already hour. been written by Jacques Ellul. Oh, well, oh, nice. Oh, how was my French accent on that one? Uh, I do parle français, monsieur. Uh, <laughs> so we wanted to have a summer session because the seminary has a partnership with V3, and we want the man of V3. The man, the myth, and the legend of V3. J.R. Woodward. J.R. Woodward to come on the show, and he graciously agreed uh, to join us. You know, I, I feel like I've known J.R. Woodward since he was in diapers. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually... He's a, a, a grandpa figure. <laughs> uh, actually, folks, he's not that much younger than me. He is younger, but he's not that much so that I would have known him in diapers. Uh, hey, welcome to the podcast, yes. Mr. J.R. Woodward. What is your position with V3? And why don't you tell us a little bit about what V3 is? Yeah. Um, so I'm national director with V3, and we, we're all about kind of training church planters, helping remission pastors, as well as work with uh, entrepreneurs who are starting Businesses and churches uh, from those businesses. So those are the some of the things we do. We have an eight-month training program that kind of goes over a period of three years. And we're just really trying to train people in embodying churches that have a grounded spirituality and missional theology and a movement ecclesiology. And mm-hmm. we could probably riff off some of those things uh, or whatever you want to do today. Yeah, but uh, what we're doing here today on this podcast, and the reason why Mike Moore uh, interrupted both of us uh, in the middle of a nice, peaceful summer <laughs> to come on the air, is because uh, V3 is doing uh, something with uh, Northern Seminary. Mike Moore, can you explain what the heck is going on with V3 yeah. and Northern Seminary? Yeah, so V3 does this amazing work of connecting head, heart, hands. That's kind of my language for it. And they have cohorts uh, that, that you can join. I think they're starting just in a few weeks, actually. They're starting this fall. Is that right? Yeah, they start the first or second week of September. Uh-huh. And if you do two years of V3 cohorts, that automatically transfers to nine credits in our theology and mission program here at Northern. Do, do you want to describe, JR, quickly what year one and year two look like <coughs> as yeah. part of V3? Yeah, I mean, we kind of go through, uh, we, we start with kind of a in-person intensive, and then there's a week-to-week uh, coaching time. There's a little article to read, like year one we is kind of going through the church's movement book. So there's eight different competencies that we cover there, like 
movement intelligence, polycentric leadership, being and making disciples, uh, missional theology, ecclesial architecture, community formation, and incarnational practices. And and so, uh, yeah, the coaching call, you're usually uh, kind of contextualizing things. Our learning formation, as you were kind of referring to, there's kind of the meta-learning, so the big idea. And then we have the uh, reflective learning, where we're kind of just asking deeper questions. And then the experiential learning. And so... You know, in our kind of understanding, we really haven't learned until we've done something with our mm-hmm. knowledge. And so the next week usually starts with what did you do last week as it relates to kind of the things that you were learning. And so and then we start to move in. So that's and then we end with a more kind of uh, uh, you, you usually in some kind of. I don't like a reflective setting, uh, sometimes in Malibu. I think this year we're going to be near Phoenix, and uh, it's like a Franciscan retreat center, oh, 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 and, and that's oh, a little oh, bit more about soul soul care and Enneagram, things like that. What's up, man? Oh, ho, oh, oh, ho, oh. ho, ho. Did you say Malibu? Malibu, yeah. You uh, know, V3 does their <laughs> retreats in Malibu? We can't compete with yeah, that. There's, there's a Franciscan center there that really, really good rates, and oh, quite, really? quite, quite beautiful space, yeah. Wow, ladies and gentlemen, so that this doesn't come across as purely a commercial for either Northern Seminary or V3 Movement Church Planting, uh, the three of us wanted to riff a little bit on what we think are the elements, the crucial elements of church planting, the things, uh, the pieces of the puzzle that come together to make possible a church plant in the post-Christianized West. Uh, so uh, where are we going to start, Mike Moore, with that, with that, with that topic? Mm-hmm. Elements. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Essential elements of uh, church planting. Well, h- how about this? Oh, Dave has a list. I didn't give you the note. <laughs> I, I didn't give you the notes. Oh. Yeah, yeah, you didn't give me the notes. That's okay. I, I, I also don't think you gave them to Jr. How, how, how about how about you both go back back and forth? Maybe Jr. You can talk about one uh, kind of core element of church planting, and Fitch, you can riff off of that, and you guys can go back and forth for a little while. And good suggestion. I like that idea. Yeah, Jr. As the as the guest. Uh, we'd love for you to go first. Oh, thanks, man. <laughs> no, I mean, I guess if I if I had to think about starting the conversation on the elements, uh, I, I think first it comes to the sense of the call of the planter. You know, why why am I doing this? You know, mm-hmm. is do I have a level of confidence? And that doesn't. I, I can think about my first church plan. I, I planned my first church only after four years of being a Christian. But uh, those four years, I was walking really hard. We were starting mid-sized groups. I, I basically was trained in the very, the, the very kind of thing that I was going to be doing. Uh, though I don't, I don't necessarily recommend <laughs> only that uh, much uh, time, but I was about 25 years old, and I, I didn't feel adequate for the, the, the task. But uh, probably my verse, and I'm always trying to hang on to some promise of God, but like our adequacy comes from God and and uh, and so it was a, you know, it was a, at a campus, so that would probably made it a bit 
easier because there's a certain range of people. Yeah. But but it was difficult. Like the first five years were hellish. But I, I don't think I would have lived through that if I didn't sense a, a call. And for me, the call was just like I, I the, those first five year four years as a Christian, I was really testing out like does this message really make a difference in people's lives, in their everyday lives. And I was convinced that it did because I saw it work in my life and other people's lives. So this was a tested out thing. I could see nothing better than to give my life to this. And when the opportunity seemed right and leaders around me confirmed that sense of call and my own, the, the spirit confirmed it with me, uh, I, you know, I, I kind of jumped in it, but it wasn't like I felt ready necessarily for it but like i i, I said oh, like god you're gonna have to help me with this and i had mentors i had people along the way to help but uh there was a, a lot of learning i needed to do and i think the first five years was more about what god wanted to do in me versus through me but um and and probably planting a church actually allowed that to happen yeah. but the, the calling was really important because i would have definitely given up if i didn't feel that sense of this is what God wanted me to do. Um, and when I say calling, like we're all called to kind of make disciples and so forth, but like uh, to, to kind of do this particular role, um, it was something I really felt God was uh, calling me to do. Hmm. Yeah. Starting with the call. Yeah, I think that's so, so important. A uh, sense of calling. I think there's a lot of bad reasons to go into church planting. One might be uh, ego. Uh, I want to do something that it, that is a expression of my accomplishment. And uh, I think anybody who's been through church planting, like Mike Moore and Fitch and Woodward have, knows you have to actually die to your ego mm. as opposed to use your ego for the kingdom because uh, this will mu this must be God's work this must not be yours and uh, so often your best laid plans that you thought were brilliant that you learned at some v3 church movement <laughs> workshop hey <laughs> actually was a pile of crap and and that god wanted to do something different with you so this sense of calling and navigating the power and the presence of god at work in a neighborhood is so key to uh uh, uh being a church planter okay next question uh mike you know you're a church planter do you have anything to add to that yeah, I, I, Jr. was starting where I was, where I was starting. Uh, I think the best advice ever given to me about planting a church was, uh, if if the call isn't there, don't do it, because you'll be doing it out of the false self, out of your ego, or out of uh, manipulation or a desire to to become important. So if the call's Plan not there. Don't planting do it. a church for those of you who are married. Not everyone is married, and we're not all called to be married. Called to be married. But those of us who are married know, first couple of years of marriage, you get the crap beat out of you. Actually, it might go longer than that. <laughs> so, uh, actually, church planting is a little bit like marriage. Uh, you have to work through all the ups, the downs, the in-betweens. Navigate what God is doing. Listen, 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 listen. You hear that, those who are married, men and women? Listen. Listen to the person you're married to. Okay, he or she is not a project that God gave you. Okay, and so, anyways, I don't know how this 
went off the rails and started talking about marriage. No, either. But you know what I'm trying to say here? It's, it's There's a uh, parallel here. There's a metaphor that I think we need to grab hold of. Yes. Yeah. <coughs> what's another, uh, what's maybe another element you're thinking of, JR? Yeah, I think like uh, for me, I mean, a lot of people recognize we're kind of in like a lot of people deconstructing church, their faith. And I, I think there's healthy elements to that as long as we're kind of reconstructing. And I think it may be a huge thing for me and for our training and approach to training is like <coughs> instead of thinking about doing church differently, uh, we need to start with the vision of discipleship. Uh, the call is to go and make disciples. Um, and I think we it's not to go and start a, a church service. And so how we sh- – and I think our structure and how we structure things and understand the four spaces of belonging become critical because usually – how we structure things uh, shapes a lot of what we do. It's kind of that, like, uh, medium in, in, a, in a way that kind of will shape. So I think uh, that vision for discipleship, um, I like what uh, Hirsch says, like, I can do more with 12 disciples than 12,000 religious consumers. And I remember we were sitting with Dallas Willard before he passed, and someone was asking him, like, why don't we have more movement in the West? in the Western church. And, and he replied, because we've failed to be and make disciples. And, and then, uh, and then he kind of went on to say, every church needs to answer two questions. Uh, what is our plan for discipleship and is our plan working? And so I, and I think we have to, we have to mess discipleship with mission and recognize that out of the, you know, discipleship happens like through, Imitation, immersion and mission, and instruction, and and I think the first two are much more important than the third. Though the third is absolutely necessary, um, people are going to learn by what we do. Uh, not what we, more is caught than taught. They're going to learn more about what we do than what we say. And when you approach uh, discipleship in the same way that Jesus did, in some ways, like my underlying assumption is that Jesus was not only the perfect disciple but the best model of a disciple maker. And I think there's a lot we can learn from his model, which I can go on later, but I'll hush for now. Yeah. Discipleship. Yeah. Uh, if you uh, so choose to come to Northern Seminary, we in our MATM, we have um, a course on ecclesiology and mission. How do you construct, how do you organize people into kingdom? Uh, part of that is discipleship. Now, part of what I uh, always get a little uh, prickly Amped. over. Oh, okay. What were you going to say? Amped up. Amped over. up. Amped up. That's what you were going to say? <laughs> prickly. It's, it's, it's better than, it's better uh, than prickly. <laughs> uh, well, I like prickly. People say, Fitch, you're a little prickly, a little rough around the edges. Okay, well, anyways, I get, wor- I get worried when people like uh, Woodward say, uh, uh, you going here. Uh, you can always. If you start a church, you don't always get disciples. But if you start with disciples, you always get a church. I won't mention the man who originally said that. But uh, uh, my point with this is there is no discipleship apart from a body of Christ that is alive and working in the Spirit with the gifts of the Spirit, and daily practicing the presence, 
the reconciliation, the proclaiming of the gospel one to another. And so, um, I, by, by the way, you, you, you all have these four spaces of belonging. We have the three circles. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, I, there's significant overlap. But um, discipleship is intertwined with worship, with uh, the eating together and sorting out our lives under the Lordship of Christ and the presence of the gifts, and also being in mission. So they're all intertwined, Absolutely. in my opinion. I think you probably agree, even though I might be getting a little prickly with you right now. That's all right. You can get prickly. Uh, maybe it's you're a little kinda, bit of a... You're kind of used to it, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. We've been friends for a while. Um, uh, since I, you I, were in di- since I, you were in diapers. <laughs> I think it's like understanding the four spaces well, and all, all four spaces are needed. So it's not the... But you, you actually have to start somewhere. Um, and I, I think, like, uh, I would rather start in, with some disciples working and uh, multiplying mis- mid-sized spaces and then uh, at the appropriate time, you know, having public space. I think today too many people want to start with a public space. They don't have a public space number of people. Uh, and I think it's – so it's kind of like a, we're, we're talking about how to start something and then how to build it. And I think if you start with discipleship and mission – and you're multiplying, you know what you're multiplying. So for us, it's like a mid-sized group with a discipleship core at the center of it. So it's both social space and personal space deeply intertwined. And that's the core of everything that you're multiplying. By the way, like the best way to prepare to be a planter is actually do that in your current context, right? And then when you're set, you already, you already know how to plant a church because you've already done it in your current context when you don't have to worry about your weekly gathering, and so forth and so on. So I, I don't think we disagree. I just think that I, I'm saying that we need to make a discipleship and emphasis. Often it's at the peripheral of what we do, and, it, and for Jesus it's a, it's a direct commission of what we're called to do. You know, uh, we, we should start another podcast called uh, V3-something. Uh, yeah, uh, because because <laughs> because discipleship like what do we even mean by discipleship so often I've learned like everybody like I was told when uh, I went in one of the church plants that I've led or been a part of uh, you cannot have a church without a discipleship program kind of like what uh, the much beloved Dallas Willard said to to JR or that group. I think I might have been there with that group, by the way, when you said that. Uh, but uh, what what the problem is, uh, oh, I am going to start a discipleship program uh, uh, on some book, uh, Emotionally mm. Healthy Discipleship mm. or mo- uh, something, something, something. We're going to go through a book. Okay, yeah. now there's nothing wrong with books, but I believe discipleship has to happen out of everyday life. The processes of living and encountering new challenges to our Christian life and sorting them out together around a table. And of course, the scriptures are going to be there. If not on the table, they're going to, there's going to be a teacher in the midst. There's going to be a discerner in the midst, a pastor, doral gift in the midst. And we're going to work out our lives in fear and trembling. And too often, I think discipleship becomes a program at your local church, even if it's in the homes. What do you think about that, J.R. Woodward? And then I want to hear from Mike Moore, because Mike Moore's about to plant another church mm. here soon. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I appreciate that a lot. <clears throat> uh, I, I, I like to think about it as, when I look at the life of Jesus, I, I feel like there was an organic and organized aspect to his approach to discipleship. 
In other words, he chose to be with them. That's the number one. Uh, I think this is the organic, you know, uh, they were with him everywhere he did ministry, whether he was healing the sick, confronting the Pharisees, mm-hmm. uh, struggling with prayer, uh, with the Father. There was all, and the, so there was these spontaneous moments, and like you said, the everyday life, that is absolutely critical. Uh, that, that's why I think uh, that the space of about, you know, eight to 12 people, that personal space is critical for discipleship because it allows for peer learning. It allows for the different types of gifts to be present there. I, I do think then the, there's another part which is organized. And I think that he intentionally pulled away with the 12 on a regular basis, asking them questions, explaining the parables. So I think like for me, uh, I think about more of a discipleship pathway, which I believe uh, everybody should develop based on their context and, and based on kind of what God's calling that community to do. I think that part of the pathway involves the community itself and how they develop. Uh, I think there, you have to think through what are the content and competencies that we're hoping to gain. In other words, like there's a lot of people that we meet that don't know what it means to live on mission in a very natural, everyday way of life. And so we have to grab them by the hands. We need to do it together. So if I'm going to uh, and, and I think that community has a rule and rhythm of life together, oriented around communion, community, and the commission. And, uh, and then, you know, character and what we're hoping, you know, to be more like Jesus is the ultimate goal. Of course, we have to define what that looks like uh, these days. And, uh, and that involves, you know, learning theology and so forth. But, yeah, I would agree. Like, the, the, uh, we talk about it in terms of a pathway. And I think uh, some of us can be lean a lot on the organic or be on the organized side and heavy on one side or the other. I think it's a balance, and, and most people need some type of balance. I tend to be a lot more organic, everyday you know, type of thing, but I also realize that some people kind of need a pathway, know where they're going, and I need to know what I'm inviting them into. And, uh, and, and I also have learned through the years, like, there, there are some clear competencies that people need to learn, and... Uh, that should be part of that pathway. Hmm. Yeah, that's really helpful. Um, JR, just for some of our listeners. Wait a um, minute, weren't you going to comment on the, uh, the the discipleship issue that we were oh, sure. passing back and forth? Yeah, I think uh, the way that we talk about it, just to recalibrate people's expectations, is we're planting a church without starting up a worship service. Because typically when you say that you're planting a church, the... Yep. There's an assumption there that folds into uh, a public gathering in a third space where people can access it once a week on a Sunday morning. So we're trying to reframe the social architecture of the church and how people uh, engage what it means to be on a mission with one another, um, which folds into the question I was going to ask, JR. Um, I think most students, or I think most listeners know Dave's social architecture of the the three circles. Yeah, yeah. Could you could you briefly say what what the four are that you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And by the way, I think there's a lot of correlation with these. Yeah. Uh, so the uh, and these are kind of like Edward. Except mine. Except mine is biblical. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that. Uh, <laughs> the old biblical car. Uh, there it is. Uh, the biblical car. <laughs> I think you'll see that mine is both biblical and sociologically uh, astute. Um, <laughs> so uh, Edward Hall like, uh, is kind of the sociologist that kind of defined these four spaces. There's intimate space, which is three to four people. There's social, uh, personal space, which is more eight to 12. 
there's a social space, which is like 20 to 50, maybe even up to 70. And then there's public space or 70 more. So it's both like the proximity of the people and the number of people that kind of create these spaces. Joseph Myers kind of popularized the the four spaces. But we kind of of utilize them in this way. And and here's how the biblical part. Jesus, uh, (laughs) he like, uh, you know, was... uh, Connected deeply with the three, he trained the 12, he mobilized the 70, he spoke riddles to the crowds or parables. So yeah. that's my biblical explanation. Um, so he confided with the three, trained the 12, mobilized the 70, and spoke riddles to the crowds. But, so I think we, yeah. we kind of have these elements. So for us, like, uh, for, for, you know, the, what we start, again, is like that personal space that is a bounded set within a centered set of social space. And so for us, uh, that social space really becomes a place for mission. Um, it's kind of, you know, more of a centered set. So people are moving in and out. It's kind of where we're meeting our neighbors. It's the people that we're, the, the bounded set are praying for and connecting with on an everyday basis. And we invite them into a space uh, where, in, in this sense, you know, it, it could be that social space could be where we're the host. It could be where, that we're the guest. Uh, but like uh, it's very missional oriented for us, uh, and and in this way the the discipleship core is focused on you know that personal space is really focused on discipleship and learning what we just talked about, and that social space is really dedicated for mission. And for me, it's kind of the best place. You can kind of look at the seventy, and obviously they went in their pairs. But in a lot of ways, uh, the way Jesus was looking at the seventy and the, the what we see happening and operating is that that was their kind of mission space. And uh, and I think we, you know, we have found that when that social space is more incarnated and where we're the guest, you know, that that probably mm-hmm. flourishes a lot stronger. And uh, and that's why I like appreciate your you guys' start is because like we have this core when you start a church, but you don't have like a public space yet. At least most people don't start with a big public space. And so uh, I think it's an error to start with that. Uh, because you spend all this time, energy, and, so, and, and too often, you know, just too much. Instead of like, uh, you're starting a church wide, so you can connect and meet some uh, non Christians. And but you have you you want to have that core group of people, and that core group does everything. You know, it's communion, it's worship, it's discipleship, and you're just kind of multiplying that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I I, uh, I want to just uh, uh, affirm uh, a lot of good overlap. Uh, and I want to affirm, I have found over and over again that the Sunday morning gathering, although important and o- almost central in my opinion, nonetheless, it can uh, actually enable a pile of crap to keep going and never be examined on the discipleship level. And so... Often it gets in the way of the groundwork of engagement. So I'm with you, Jr. Woodward. I'm with you now. Now, Mike, can I interrupt? Because hey, hey, wait, wait. I, let me let me finish one thing. I want to define <coughs> these four spaces and, <coughs> and how we often kind of misunderstand. So, like intimate space is kind of moving from being unknown to known. It's the place where we can, you know, intimacy is best kind of done, and and it takes a while to develop that. Personal space is moving from small group to discipleship core, and there's a lot of difference between that. That we, if you want to dive into, we can, but they're not the same at all. Uh, social space is moving from communities to communities on mission, and then when I think about public space, you know, that weekly or however often that 
public space might be. For Jesus, it, it was more spontaneous and not regular, but often. And uh, we talk about the need to move from idolizing it or demonizing it to reimagining it and what it means. And so I, I think there's errors on both sides when we think about public space. House churches maybe tend to demonize it. Mega churches tend to idolize it. I think we need to reimagine it. And maybe the first look is just go back and see how Jesus used it, which I think is radically different than how we tend to use it. I, I think he was actually trying to burst kind of the ideological, the ideologies that people were captive to on the known, and often did that through parables, not three points and, you know, go home type of thing. All right. Uh, we should have just a podcast on that. I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. Uh, we're, we're running out of time. So um, uh, I got a few last uh, few zingers to get in here uh, on uh, Woodward. <laughs> um, I think uh, there's some theological issues that every church planter has got to address, be comfortable with, understand, locate him or herself in. One is a theology of how you're going to engage culture. Of course, we have a course on that. Uh, we want to invite you to sign up for that course if indeed uh, this V3 Northern thing becomes part of what you want to do. But uh, can you talk about, I mean, I really think at this point in the time in the history of the West, if you're planning a church in the United States, Canada, or probably Europe, but a little less, to it, it's a different thing there. Uh, you're going to have to have a way of engaging the cultural issues for the gospel. You're going to have to be present to the issues of racism, the issues of sexuality, the issues of gender, the issues of economics, the issues, <coughs> excuse me, the cough button. That's what we say when we miss, we don't actually have a cough button when we cough. Uh, we're going to have to be present to those issues and open up space for the gospel and be comfortable there in leading people into the contextual issues of the gospel. Comment, J.R. Woodward, on on how you think about culture is going to shape how you plant a church. Yeah, no, I, I think it's huge. I mean, we, we all have to kind of do that hard work. I mean, the beauty of planting a church is being able to contextualize the things that we're learning. And so we have to learn, we have to know the broader context we need to know in detail kind of exegeting the neighborhood just as, as much as we need to exegete the scriptures. And, and then we need to be able to figure out how to, how to be present with people, how to listen. Like I, I think when, when you have a missional theology, you realize that God is already at work in our culture. The spirit is at work before us. And if we're a praying community, we can have confidence in that. And so we're kind of, uh, starting with a listening posture, with a humble posture, with sitting with people, with hearing what they're going through, and then how is the, the good news kind of speak to this issue? You know, obviously uh, today, I mean, we're, we're hitting very difficult economic times. I tend to be a person, if you've ever read the book, The Fourth Turning, that would think that we're, you know, there's a cyclical history that we're in the crisis moment that's probably going to last till 2030. I think there's going to be economic uh, crisis that probably we're going to feel even more than we're kind of currently feeling. So we have to be prepared spiritually. I think uh, uh, some of my last seven years of PhD study, which in my next book is going to address uh, 
is going to be dealing with how to name, unmask, and engage the powers and principalities and powers. And uh, as uh, Stringfellow kind of articulates the principalities in particular, he talks about image, institution, and ideology. And I think ideology is a, is a huge thing for us today, whether it's kind of the white nationalists on the right or the super progressives on the left. Uh, I think we're, a lot of people are captive to ideology as opposed to the kingdom without being aware of it. And I think one way that, like Rene Girard talks about being able to discern if we're captive to an ideology, is we, we basically scapegoat the other or we demonize the other. We can't come to the table. We can't have conversations about the real difficult issues that we're trying to engage culturally. Yeah, yeah. And, oh, that was so good because we deal with uh, a lot of those issues in our uh, in our uh, our. Uh, Class. The way we teach culture and culture engagement, we. Uh, uh, but but thanks for throwing in your PhD dissertation because anybody who's done a PhD dissertation has got to use it at least once <laughs> after they get their PhD. So right, you can right. check that box off, J.R. Woodward. Um, okay, last question, and then we got to wrap this up. The gospel. I believe there is no church without gospel. And gospel, however, is very, very, uh, I would say, contentious. Like we have the Billy Graham gospel, which worked from 1952 to about 1968. And uh, I don't even know if, if well, Mike Moore wasn't born uh, uh, before 1968. But, uh, uh, but also, um, we have the social gospel. We have the fourfold gospel. We we have the self-fulfillment. You've got to figure out your gospel, how you are going to find the entry point for the gospel, the King Jesus gospel, in your context. That's a, that's a uh, course we are working on here at, oh, at Northern on. Seminary. How can you just talk to us a little bit, Jared Woodward, in these closing moments of this radio show about how gospel is so important and how you need to be a, a uh, where, you got to have wherewithal to know the gospel experience the gospel live the gospel but also contextualize the gospel if you're a church planter yeah yeah I, I mean yeah I think uh, even myself when I first became a Christian I think I had a very kind of reductionistic version of the gospel and as I have grown and like and studied more and you know, encounter people like N.T. Wright and others. You know, I've just come to realize everything that was lost at the fall, like, uh, and divided, like, whether it's our our relationship with God, which is, like, theological, our relationships with each other, which is sociological, our relationships within ourselves, which is psychological, and our relationship with creation, which is each ecological. All of that, you know, through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ has been redeemed. And so... Now we're to join God in kind of the renewal of all things and the beauty of that. And there's a lot of uh, little nestless thing, but like I, I think when our gospel is big enough, it can encounter everybody in their particular issues and place that they're at. Uh, re, you know, recently I, I've been connecting with a lot of like uh, Japanese students here locally that have really hardly any contact, <coughs> hardly any concept of God and uh, and as we, it's really fun. Like, I, I feel like uh, some of my, sometimes I start with anthropology, some of the things I've been learning from Gerard. And Gerard kind of leads automatically to Jesus in a very creative way that I found is, 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 is quite stunning for some of these people. Just one encounter and dinner, this Japanese guy said to me, I've never heard like 
this is the most interesting discussion I've had in my whole life. Like, are you serious? Are you just (laughs) 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 you're overstating this, right? But like that same guy over the weeks, you know, he started to read the Bible, which is uh, it's so interesting. And he wanted to start with Genesis, and I I just uh, found his, and he he was going to check out some Bible studies and stuff like that. But like, and he felt he like he was offensive in these Bible studies that he probably couldn't go back to them. But he would tell me things like, "It looks like God's just kind of insecure when I read in Genesis," or he'll say all of these different things, which are so refreshing. I said, "Oh, why do you think that?" And like, we're just dialoguing. He goes, "I think when I went to that Bible study, when I said what I was feeling, they, you know, I, I felt like I was offending them." And it's like, he goes, "I, I you know, I, I don't think I'm offending you, but so thank you for that." But like. I just think like there's so many beautiful ways and angles to go into things, but we we first just got to hear people's story and listen. But if our gospel is big enough, it's going to hit it at multiple different levels. And uh, so, and I think that's the beauty and excitement of of kind of uh, living, you know, as a person who can share the good news with different people. I, I, it sounds like your class there will be super helpful, but. Uh, without going into the details, my, my little Girardian anthropological view leads directly to not just uh, Jesus being the answer, but like if we don't imitate him, we have no hope in the world. Uh, we're going to be consumed by the powers. Hmm. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that just about wraps it up. But uh, Woodward got in one more uh, uh, citation on his <laughs> PhD dissertation. Uh, as, so anyways, uh, folks... Uh, by the way, Ingrid Farrow, uh, Old Testament professor here at Northern Seminary, does a great job understanding the violence seemingly at work on behalf of God in the Old Testament and working out all those issues uh, with Genesis and everything else. So I think it's all, uh, I think it's a perfect marriage, ladies and gentlemen, between Northern yeah. Seminary and the V3 Church Planting Network. Yes. And uh, we're so glad to be in partnership with you. And uh, that's that's it for our commercial uh, today. Uh, uh, you're not going to get another one. Uh, all five listeners of Theology on Mission podcast. <laughs> but anyways, Mike Moore, do you have any final comments on what we've just been through the last 33 and a half, 38 and a half minutes? Uh, other than uh, if you're interested in this stuff, I'll put the link in the show notes and... We'll talk to you, or our audience will hear from us in the fall. <laughs> oh, uh, you're talking about Theology on Mission podcast. We'll be returning in the fall. In the fall, yes. Uh, We're not going to have we, another one of these surprise uh, podcasts. Yeah, the, the the links for this partnership, that, that'll all be in the show notes. Okay. Cool. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been a real pleasure being back with you. Uh, I'm taking off for the summer. I'm going to the blessed land of Canada uh, to, to uh, vacation for a week. Nice. Uh, I'm not going to talk to anybody until September, not even Mike Moore. So uh, but <laughs> we look that. forward to seeing you again in September. <laughs> Mr. J.R. Woodward, thanks for being with thanks us. For I, or I should say, Dr. J.R. Woodward, thanks for being with us. And and please keep your keep your thesis notes uh, for the next pod for the next podcast. Until then, ladies and gentlemen, it's over and out Theology Mission Podcast. Mike Moore and Dave Fitch. See you next time.